The Voxes are awesome, and they're, they're part of the Thomasville uh, plant up there. And yes, oh no, not evangelism. How did, you know, if this is your first time here, you're probably like, oh no, how did I pick evangelism Sunday? You know, how terrible is that? I, evangelism, I think, is this thing that, that is, is meant to be really beautiful, but but. Let's just face it, the church has really screwed this one up. I mean, it's just, it's become like an ugly, manipulative thing. I remember the uh, first experience that I had kind of with an evangelist. Uh, uh, I, it was, I was like trying to figure out how this must have worked, but I, must, I was probably around eight years old, and, and I probably figured out a way not to go to church that on a Sunday morning, and my parents were gone, and I was like scanning the the TV, uh, uh, back in the day, like I'm old enough that we didn't have like a remote control. You actually like had a knob. So you would, you'd have, so I'm like searching for like Scooby-Doo or something, like something my parents wouldn't let me watch or, or like the Three Stooges or something like that. And, and I, I, I hit this one uh, channel and there's this guy named Ernest Ainsley on. Anybody know who that is? He's like a, a famous evangelist, and I was, I was like eight years old and, um, and like just kind of scanning. I didn't realize like my, my parents had come home while I was like, you know, kind of doing this. I wasn't meant to be watching TV, and, and I was flipping it, and then Ernest Ainsley was there. I, I learned who he was later, but uh, he's all like talking about Jesus and all this kind of stuff, and, and then he's all like, you want to feel the power of Jesus? An eight-year-old Mark, he's like, yeah, I want to feel the power of Jesus, <laughs> right? So he, he like, he said, put your hand on the screen, and he put his hand up on the screen, and eight-year-old Mark, he's like, okay, and he's coming, you know, the 70s shag carpet, you know, kind of, and I'm like, oh, feel the power of Jesus, and I put my hand, and bam! <laughs> But it wasn't Jesus, it was static electricity <laughs> that I experienced. And I heard my dad coming up, and I knew I was in trouble, not because I experienced God, but I had said my first cuss word out loud. <laughs> Thanks, Ernest, you know, that, that was kind of like this idea. But, but you know, evangelism, I, I just, this has become this kind of like bizarre, thing, right? And especially in our culture, you know, you go around and, and there's, you know, you go into kind of like Christian places and they have things like uh, testaments, right? Pass the word. Now, this is a real product. In fact, we had the idea of handing out testaments to everyone who, who came this morning. Uh, their, their thing is each mint is wrapped in a scripture verse. And we are thinking, you know what? Like, everybody who goes to E3 would think that was so awesome, but if it was, like, your first time here, you'd be like, whoa. <laughs> so if this is your first time here, you did not get a testament because we are thinking of you, and we love you, and we wanted you to be comfortable. But, you know, kind of this idea of peppermint testaments, or I love this one, a guy wearing a shirt. Let's talk about Jesus. And he's telling the guys all like, this guarantees me my own seat on the bus, right? Like, nobody wants to sit by next to the guy with the Jesus shirt, you know, go, uh, going on. Or, or uh, how, how about this? It's hillbilly evangelism. 
Jesus got her done, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, and this one, I was talking to my daughter about, about this one. Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, I'm going to fool you into hearing the gospel or, or getting the gospel. And the kind of the idea here is they fold up a, like something that looks like a $10 bill and it's on the ground and you pick it up and then you get to hear about how much Jesus loves you. But all the results, and I was talking to my daughter about this, she's like, I fell for that once. It made me so mad. You know, it's like, so it just makes people hate Christians. And not for like the good reason that Jesus talked about, just because it, you're idiotic, you know. And, and like I, I was given this million dollar bill it, and uh, by, by a gal who's a, who's a server. And uh, uh, she got this as a tip. And you'd be thinking, oh, a million dollars, you know, that's awesome. But if you go on the back, it says this, you know, this is more valuable than a million dollars, you know, and, and it's about Jesus and everything. It's like, you know, Jesus doesn't pay the rent for the server, right? And then, they, you know, just it's like this irritating kind of thing. And it's, and it's become this kind of like ugly, you know, manipulative kind of thing. And it's just something that you like, you think about evangelists and you want to run the other direction. I mean, it's like this guy. Like, you know, no more delays before 2010, you know, and just kind of this, this, this idea where, where it, it's kind of having the opposite effect, you know, for, for most people, it's kind of this, this, you know, repulsion of just like, I don't want anything to do with that. But what I want to happen today is actually to reclaim all right, change that because people are reading that. There we go. Come back. Come back to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus wants you to pay attention to what I have to say. Uh, the, the, I, want, I want evangelism actually to, to turn the corner for a lot of like how we think and what it's become to what it originally once was meant to be in this relationally beautiful thing. I mean, this thing that, that, that it becomes an expression of who we are in Christ and not because we feel like we have to check something off the list or, or drop a track off in, in Walmart in the bathroom and feel like we've done our Christian duty. You know, just kind of this idea of what it really is. And the, and the first thing it is, is, is you know what? We're ambassadors, and not ambassadors of Christ. We're ambassadors. I mean, uh, you think about it, things in a natural relational kind of uh, way, people that we are in a relationship with or know us know the things that matter to us, things that, that we like. I mean, it's, it's no, you know, secret that I like to train and do triathlons. It's, it's not, you know... It's not something weird, or, or you may think the triathlons are weird, but but just the the idea of of how I expressed it. You don't, you know, it's not a scary thing. I haven't had to like trick you, you know, with a ten dollar bill on the on the ground. It's like, have you thought about doing a triathlon? It'll change your life. You know, you'd be just like, what? That doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It may be true, but it doesn't make any sense to present it in that way. 
No, people know about you know me doing triathlons or the restaurants that I like to go to and, and things like that as a natural extension of who I am. Same is true for you. Things that matter to you, things that have, have, have enriched your life, that, that people in your normal scope of, of, of influence... That, that they know about that and maybe have even, you know, got involved in something that you're interested in because of the life that you lead and what, it is, what has happened in your life. It's not ugly. It's not manipulative. It's, it's relational. It's who you are and, it, and, and things you care about and that matter to you that you share as a natural extension of, of who you are. In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, Christ tells us that, hey, or Paul writes that we are all ambassadors. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Through us. This, this idea that it's our lives that God makes an appeal through. That through our relationships and, and, and our connections with one another. And one of my favorite stories uh, in the Bible in the New Testament, it is such a bizarre story, and I absolutely love it. I'm so excited to get to share it today. It's about Jesus' interaction with a guy and, 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 and how it all comes out, you know, this kind of this idea of relational kind of outreach or evangelism, things like that. You see, one day Jesus was, was cruising along a place called the Sea of Galilee, and he gets to a town, and he gets out, gets out of his boat. And that's kind of where we, we pick up in this story. It says, when Jesus gets out of the boat, a man possessed by evil spirits came out of a cemetery to meet him. The man lived among the burial caves and could, not, could no longer be restrained even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he was wandering among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Now, first impressions matter, right? And what's the first impression of this guy? Jesus gets out of the boat, and here we have a freakishly strong, naked, insane guy who's possessed by evil spirits, you know, living in a cemetery, howling and cutting himself with rocks. I don't know about you, but when I see people like that, I go the, I get back in the boat and get away. I mean, this is one bizarre character. I mean, this is one of these stories that, that, that people carry from cocktail party to cocktail party. Because like one time I was getting out of the boat and this naked, insane, demon-possessed guy who was cutting and howling and shrieking, you know, you know it's going to be a good story, right? And it is going to be a good story. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing what happens next. You see, Jesus was still some distance away. The man saw him and he ran to him and bowed before him. And with a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, beg you, don't torture me. And he said this because Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion. Because there are many of us inside this man. 
I mean, just so you have here the Son of God who, who is, is face to face with this, you know, pretty just kind of like forbearing kind of character, you know, this guy who's naked and insane and, pe- and demon-possessed and cutting himself. And I just, in your mind's eye, just kind of like think about yourself and think about the disciples. You got Peter, James, and John, and, you know, even got like Judas there and, and everybody who, who Jesus had called to kind of be with him are all experiencing this, this kind of guy. I'm like, what, what's Jesus going to do? And what, what's Jesus going to do with this guy? And Jesus says, hey, you know, demons, get out. And the demons are all like, you know, hey, Jesus, you know, hey, you know, please don't uh, cast us out. Why are you torching us? And then they invoke the name of God. I mean, it's, it's like this story. It's like compounded and, and is even gets more bizarre as we go along. So the demons were begging them not to be thrown out and sent to a deep, distant place. And It says, there happens to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And then they're like, hey, Jesus, send us into those pigs, they begged. Let us enter them. And then in another bizarre move, Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. This is a weird story, right? I mean, just, I, I mean, just, we're just like, Jesus here, weird, howling, naked, insane guy filled with demons. Jesus, you know, Jesus says, demons get out, and they're like, eh, we don't want to go to the distance place. How about a distant place? Let's go to the herd of pigs. And Jesus is like, yeah, it sounds reasonable. Goes into the, the, the pigs, about 2,000. Pigs freak out. You would too if you had a demon in you, you know, and they all go running and jump into the water. And, you know, and everybody's like, whoa, you know, that's weird, you know, and, and, and that's what happens. Like the, the, you know, because, you know, we think that's weird. Well, they thought it was weird too. I mean, it didn't, you know, happen every day, you know, I, it just didn't happen there. You know, it doesn't happen here in Tallahassee. I don't even think it happens that often in Crawfordville. I mean, it's just, you know, I it just herds of pigs flinging themselves into the water, you know. And so at verse 14, the herdsmen fled to a nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Like, Jesus and the pigs and everything. They're like, what are you talking about? You know, that kind of thing. And they, people rushed out. They heard this and they rushed out to see what had happened. And this is, this is awesome. As soon, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And now they're afraid. They weren't afraid when he was a freakishly strong, naked, insane man who was possessed by evil spirits, living in a cemetery, howling and cutting himself with rocks. That we can handle. But now he's clothed and perfectly sane. This is freaking us out. Because it just didn't happen. Like they, they, they had known this guy. They'd known who he was. And they had, they had kind of, they had, he had kind of become part of the fabric of their reality. And they knew how to interact with insane, cemetery, shrieking, cutting, naked guy. 
but they did not know how to interact with him as a transformed person who was healed by God. So what did they do? Well, those who had seen what happened, they started, uh, they told others about the demon-possessed man and pigs, and then the crowd pleaded with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. They liked their paradigm. They liked how their town went. Sure, we have the shrieking, you know, shrieking, naked, insane guy, but that's just part of our community, and we get that. And Jesus has come in, and he's disrupted what we know. And that's freaking us out. And Jesus, we just want you to go away. I mean, it's kind of bizarre, right? You know, you're just thinking about this story. And so what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus took a billboard and said, I'm going to get her done, right? He, uh, he gave everybody a testament. No. He gets, he gets into a boat. He starts to go and get into his boat. You see, Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. Jesus is not a stalker. You know, in Revelation, we're told that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Jesus doesn't come in and kick the door down and shove testaments down your throat. No, Jesus stands and sits at the door. The people wanted him to leave, so Jesus was going to leave. It's like, okay, I will go. And this is where the story really starts to get good. You see, as Jesus was getting back in the boat... The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with them. So you got to remember, okay, you know, Jesus had fishermen as followers that he invited to go with him. Jesus had tax collectors, you know, remember, disreputable sinners that he associated with. Jesus even had a guy named Judas, right? A thief, a liar. But this guy, who's now clothed and perfectly sane, he says, Jesus, can I please go with you? And Jesus says, no, you cannot go with me. But the amazing thing is why. He says, you know what? This is what I want you to do. I have a more important mission for you than being one of my disciples. I want you to be my first ambassador. I want you to go and tell your friends and your family and live your life in your community as a testimony of how great God is in the, in the glory and the mercy that he's been shown. I love this and I think it communicates so much because up until this point, you got to think about what Jesus had done. Jesus was at a huge wedding and he turned water into wine. That Jesus had healed uh, uh, dignitaries' children and, and healed other people. And everybody he would say, you know what? Do not tell anybody about me. He called people to be with him. He called tax collectors and he called liars and cheats and and lowly fishermen. 
But all along, he's looking for the right person to be the first missionary, the first ambassador of Jesus Christ. And he had a very specific person in mind. And it wasn't a dignitary, it wasn't a king, it wasn't a religious ruler, it wasn't a pastor or a priest or a rabbi. No, Jesus wanted somebody really special. Someone with a unique set of qualifications to be the first person to say, I am a follower of Christ. And this is his qualifications. He wanted the person to be freakishly strong, naked, insane, possessed not by one or two demons, but legions, thousands of demons. You couldn't live in a condo. You had to live in a cemetery. You had to be howling, and you had to enjoy cutting yourself with rocks. You see, this is our faith's first missionary. Jesus told everybody, don't tell anybody about me up until this point. This is the first person where he says, look, you're just the guy that I was looking for. You don't know how hard it is in today's day and age to find a howling, naked, insane, cutting, you know, shrieking, and, you know, demon-possessed guy. Finally, good, I want you to go back to your town and live your life in a way to, in front of your family and your friends and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. You see, this could have gone a couple of different ways, right? He could, have, he could have like said, you know what? I want you to come and I want you to speak your, your testimony with us. Wow, you know, wouldn't it be great? Like the, you'll be the 13th disciple and, and we'll come and we'll go to different towns and I'm gonna give this, you know, rip roar and message and and uh i'm gonna do some miracles you know feed like five thousand with you know a couple fish and a few loaves of bread and everything and then for the the big finale just picture this with me this is gonna be so beautiful for the big finale we're gonna have you come up demon possessed insane naked guy and you're gonna tell your story i was once demon possessed naked and all this kind of stuff and peter you're going to be playing come as you are on the organ. <laughs> and we'll just keep on doing it until everybody gets baptized if they need it or not. It's going to be awesome. Come on, demon-possessed, naked, crazy guy. No, that's, Jesus had something else in store, didn't he? He said, no. You know what? Your life is your testimony, your story of me. And I want you to go back to your town. I want you to go back to your friends and back to your family. And I want you to live life in front of them in a way that shows the power and the love of God. Now think about that town. You see, he didn't need to take billboards out or give people testaments or anything like that, did he? I can tell you how it would happen. He would be walking down Main Street 
and people would be like, dude, that's the, that's the guy who used to like cut himself and howl and was naked and all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, he's out and he's serving people and, and he, he says it's about, about this person of Christ who healed him. And that spoke volumes, not only to the people there, but to us today. You see, Jesus is not interested in a transference of information. Jesus is not interested in you being able to recite back a sinner's prayer or, or something like that. Jesus came to have a relationship with us and for us to be able to go and have a relationship and introduce people in, to the power and love of God. That is the gospel, not, not some moment, but what happens after the moment, the transformation, the interweaving of God and yourself and your story with him. So what happened? So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for them. And everyone was amazed at what he told them because they knew it was true. They had seen what Christ had done in their life, his life. And we talked a little bit about this last week, this, this idea of overflow. And outreach really is just a, an overflow of who we are in Christ. You see, if you have dry bones, you do not have an overflow. If you, if, if, uh, you don't have any, you can't give what you do not have. And we have to swing back and say, well, why do I have dry bones? Why don't I feel like telling people or sharing about my relationship with the one true God. And it may be just the answer is so simple. It's, you know what? I don't have anything to give. That, I, that I've patterned my life around rules or regulations or, or trying to, you know, tell people about information and trying to convince them or argue them into heaven and not truly experiencing an encounter with Christ myself. In John 10.10, Jesus says, look, the enemy comes and steals away our joy, but I came to give a rich and abundant life. The Greek for rich and abundant is parasos. And parasos means extraordinary or excellent, or abundant life. This idea of an overflow. In Romans 15, 13, we talked about this last week. It's talking about how, how Paul was writing, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own power, not by, uh, you know, a clever kind of marketing or evangelistic scheme, not by having clever tracks that look like money so people pick them up or, or giving people testaments or, or, or taking out billboards that say turn or burn. 
but because of the overflow of the confident hope of the, the parasos, of the, the abundant life that we find when we truly exist with Christ. Or this final one, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. As a result of your ministry, as a result of your overflow, they will give glory to God. You see, people were designed to have a relationship with God. I have no doubt about that in my mind. But if we are living shallow lives, lives that are not overflowing, then we have nothing to offer. And the only way that we're going to have that overflow is having a depth of relationship with the source of hope, who is God. And get away from this idea that, that we're going to bring Jesus to somebody or we're going to bring Jesus to the nations. I got news for you. Jesus is already there. He's just waiting for us to show up. You can't bring Jesus anywhere. But you can live him and what he's done in your life as an expression of worship, as an overflow. And as, as through that, it becomes a natural and beautiful thing that you share with people. Because God so loved the world so much, loved them first, that he sent his only son. Why? Not so we can be manipulative or, or trick people, but that he could die for our transgressions, our sins. Why? So we would have the opportunity to once again have a relationship with God and be his ambassadors. Not because we're smart, not because we're good looking, not because we have power, but because he loves us. And he came to give us parasols, an extraordinary life an abundant life that overflows. And it is mo the motivation of that love that is overflowing through us that we want to share it in deed and action and in our life with our friends and our family because we want them to experience Petrosos as well. Will you guys pray with me? Dear God, I got to be honest, it grieves me to see people who try to scare people into a relationship with you or force you on them or trick you into having a relationship with you. That's not necessary. You are God. You're a God of love. A God who wanted to have a relationship with his creation so much that he came to us because we did not have the ability to go to you. God, I just pray that 
we, as followers of you, will turn away from the human-powered outreach and evangelism that so many are engaged with and to embark into a relational wholeness with you and invite other people into that relationship. Not because we want them to know some sort of information, but we want them to know you and experience your transformational power. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.